Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Generation on Air. My name is Alex Fullamore and this week I am joined by Dan Lambert, Lucas Ross and Don Ball's dinner date, Sam Taylor. <laughs> Evening listeners. Evening. Hello. Uh, welcome guys. So to give everyone a peek behind the curtain here at Our Generation Towers, usually I plan this podcast the day before. But obviously today, Mark Warburton goes and drops a rather large piece of news. Um, that being that he's not expecting to be at QPR next season. So naturally, the script was torn up, rewritten in the space of about five minutes. And uh, we need to quite urgently talk about this. Uh, I feel like the whole day has been spent between people sort of saying this is the right thing to do, this is the wrong thing to do, whatever. There seems to be quite a bit of worry out there. Sam, in particular, you <laughs> sort of vented on Twitter straight away. Try and what what was your sort of instant reaction to it this morning? Well, Alex, um <laughs> I woke I woke up this morning and went uh immediately chat Twitter as my days normally begin. And I saw that little uh, tweet by uh, West London Sport who were like uh, Warburton doesn't think he's going to be there I felt a sudden uh, burst of rage which I then <laughs> uh, uh, put into words on Twitter my first reaction was I knew that was going to happen I I think I said on the last podcast I think he's going to go I just it's bizarre to me it's actually it's not even like I even tweeted it saying this is completely weird but it's QPR so it makes sense but I think it's just my sudden reaction was I can't believe they're judging the last four months about his three-year tenure and it's just it I mean I'll go in further detail later but I'll let one of the others give that because it I am so in a it really really annoyed me Dan you uh in a, i think you're in a similar boat to sam aren't you with without the sort of twitter answer. in fact you were quite disappointed i imagine because it kind of covered up the fact that you had a really nice article out about corners <laughs> it kind of got blown out of the water yeah, by um, <laughs> admittedly a much bigger story yeah pretty much um yeah i'm not bored about the, the piece uh at a similar time don't worry that's 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 gone but um yeah, I'm similar to Sam. It probably felt um, quite inevitable, um, the decision, just from like what's been brewing over the last couple of weeks or so, um, especially when David McIntyre, I think, came out like two weeks ago and kind of like said that he was set to leave, even though they didn't write about it. Um, I'm probably not as strong as Sam and I'm still, I still think we should keep him. Um I can see to a degree why they'd they they they'd let him go, um, but I still think we should give him. He's worthy of another year, personally. Now, Lucas, I think you're the only person here that is against Warburton staying here. So, just briefly explain your sort of uh, reasonings around why you would actually prefer him to go at the end of the season rather than get another deal. Um, to to be honest, I think we found out over the last three months that. The lack of a plan B and um, it's mostly the lack of a plan B and the lack of a lack of a fourth striker has really worked against us in these last three months. I think while the loss at Peter, while the loss at Peterborough 
was hopeful. I hoped it would be short lived. We followed it up with a solid performance on the Wednesday night against Middlesbrough. Then we go and lose to Barnsley. A very, very QPR thing to do, mind you. And then I was like, oh, keep the faith, keep the faith. I kept the faith for a few more weeks. We go and play Hull, and despite a poor refereeing performance, we grind out a point, beat Blackpool in the last minute, and then then I'm thinking Blackburn, do or die. Um, We lose to Blackburn, obviously. We lose to Cardiff, beat Luton, lose to Forest, and then for the third time this season, seem to to have come to our nickname of Charity Park Rangers, we lose to Peterborough. And then starting to question it, Drop a bit of a bombshell in the stands of Slough and Bilic, who says no. Um, and then off, after that, Fulham, Sheffield, Preston. That I think Preston was the final straw for me. Um, and I was thinking, after we beat Derby, I was thinking, if we can beat Stoke, then it's still on. But we lost. And then that was what, that was what did it for me. Um, I think the fact that it's just gone to pot in the last 12 weeks, I think that's what's done it for me. And I think um, change is good. And I think it's time for a change who I'd like to see come in. Um, I'm pretty sure we'll cross that bridge later in the podcast, but that's just my take. I don't know about you guys already spoken. So you say like a lack of plan B, would you at all consider the fact that I know we have a small squad by design technically, uh, but you know, we've been, gutted by injuries we all know who's been missing recently and you know you look at the the players that he's been working with over the last couple of games we've really had to shake it up a bit whether you agree that the back five was the right way to go or not that was his favorite formation and he hasn't been able to play that recently for a variety of reasons um we're missing chris willock we're missing sunny diang we've had what four or five different goalkeepers, and then there's the the other thing, the underlining fact that throughout the season the stats suggest that we have actually been overperforming based on quality of squad, quality of chances. Um, in fact, his whole tenure has been one of overperformance, arguably. So, how would you sort of say that? I understand there's no there's a lack of plan B at times, but blimey, like what? Would he actually like? Would, would you were you expecting promotion? Basically, was and it was anything short of that not acceptable? Um, I think he had. Um, it depends on what time. What time you asked me? Had you asked me in July last year, say, then I was thinking if we can finish eighth or higher, then that would be classed as a good season because even finishing one position higher or even finishing in the same position, or even lower. But provided that you beat your points tally from last season, it shows progress. Um, and then in in January, play, playoffs was pretty much signed, sealed and delivered, more or less. And after some fantastic wins in Jan- throughout the, the winter months, and then in February, it was like, oh, keep the... It was like, oh, keep the faith, beat Blackburn, we can go second. We lose to Blackburn. Then going to March and I was like, oh, try and keep top six intact. And then April was try and get top six back. And now now I don't really know what to say, but I just don't know. I just don't know. Sam, Dan, anything that you want to say on the matter? 
Um, I mean, I don't think the, the, the form has been as far as three months. Obviously, we had an unbeaten January and everyone was raving about playoffs at that point. Um, I think injuries are a big factor for me. Uh, obviously, we talk about the overperformance. That kind of factors in Chris Willock's individual quality that can win you a game from fine margin um, uh, chances or, or whatever. But um, I think also uh, the keeper. I think five keepers out in one season is pretty much unprecedented. Um, particularly Dieng for our um, our style. Um, I mean, people were saying that, um, and we'll probably get onto this, but about the set pieces. But I think the fact that his role in the system is to play with ball to, the ball to the feet and to handle it under pressure. Um, I think Westwood and like some Marshall probably struggle with that a little bit more. Um, those demands. So I think I think it's probably harsh to say he's got a lack of plan B. I, I think some of his game plans I think have been have been fine, but we just haven't executed them. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, Lucas is entitled to his opinion. The obviously. other thing with the goalkeeping is that you only have to look back a year ago to see a goalkeeping situation that's in crisis, really. You're not quite sure who's going to be the number one goalkeeper. Is it going to be Lumley? Is it going to be um, Kelly? Eventually, yeah, Kelly does. Eventually, Dieng does appear on the scene and everything's okay. And once you've got Dieng in the side, then, you know, it's like the final piece of the puzzle in a certain sense. Obviously, Marshall and Westwood, to the best of their abilities, have done what they can, but they're not quite what what Dieng is for this team. And, you know, having that sort of regular core of players obviously has counted, or not having them has counted against us, really. Um, Sam, you were nodding along when we were talking about the underperformance, or, or overperformance, yes. sorry. I mean, what... This is a weird way of looking at it, but I've kind of realised um, I don't think form is necessarily that good for your season. Let me explain this because it doesn't really make sense. When we had Holloway, we used to... I've said, I said this on last podcast. We used to win six and we'd lose seven. And then we'd win six and then we'd lose seven. That is not a team. That is not a strategy that can sustain uh, a push at the top of the table. With Warburton as well, we've sort of operated in runs, except this year we sort of um, we're, we were getting a bit of consistency. In January, however, we then had win, 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 win. And when you're relying, it seems when we got to a point where we were relying on momentum, that's not a necessarily good thing because momentum is going to end and um, part of progress is being knocked back. And so if you're relying on the quality um, coming from, you know, the motivation and the momentum of winning the last game, then as soon as you win one, you don't have anything to bounce back from or whatever. Um, And I think we, I think we are massively overperforming this year. Um, And I think our fans, including myself, I think we all just got a bit spoiled at the top there. Um, The squad we have is not a, promotion pushing side we have a mid-table squad Mark Warburton I think has a plan A that works really well because I don't think and I think he knows he doesn't have the quality to adapt into two different ways of playing or three or four different ways of playing City let's compare us to the best team in the world (laughs) I look at City 
they could change any player in that team and be as good as they are because they have a million different ways of playing and they're all the players are of a level where the team can play to the best of their ability no matter who's on the pitch we have such a like a shallow squad depth that um we were relying on one way of playing because i think we don't have the quality and the depth uh and you know just the general ability even in our best players to play different ways and maybe Warburton needed to think of, you know, maybe a backup plan for when things weren't working. But we've done that now. We play with four at the back and we're just, it's just it doesn't do anything. Um, I'm fairly disappointed in that. I just think, like I said, a big part of progressing is being knocked back. And I don't think you should be punished for, I think he needs to be given the chance to have learned from what's happened now and then you know use whatever resources they give him in the summer and then have another go because he's played with a rubbish mid-table team at times and managed to get the wins give him more money give him more players give him more support another year we'll be on the up um and this year i think is an improvement on last year by some distance so i don't think it's sensible yeah i think when you look at us last season and where we were halfway through it was clear that that side hadn't got the investment properly. You needed a bit more. So we went out in January and secured players that kept us up and then sustained the bigger push towards the end of the season. Now, I don't know of many people that said at the end of last year, we shouldn't sign Johansson, we shouldn't sign Austin, we shouldn't sign Samfield and we shouldn't sign Geordie Device. I think everyone... Everyone wanted those four players permanently. Though I don't, if you were, if you said that you didn't want Austin at a certain point, I think you were actually ridiculed. Um, you know, now season on, perhaps Austin Johansson, Geordie Device, they've not had the best seasons of their careers. But it's that point that we do need. This is a still a mid-table side. We've got, we're trying to fill gaps up front with loans still. We've got a midfield that is, you know, not weak, but it's it's inexperienced when the fact that you've got Dazelle playing at the weekend in one of the most important games of the season. He was in, playing in League One last year. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's a big step up. And clearly, at times this season, he has struggled. At the back, you've got Sam McCallum, another loan. You know, this is not a side, as Sam said, that is... You know, we were get, we made the best of it, and then eventually, it sort of just gave out. With another year, with another bit of, I don't know, backing of him, you you don't know, really know where it could have gone. And we're not going to find out now because we're going to have to. So it's time for another rebrand, isn't it? It's you know, God knows who comes in next. But that's what really sort of winds me up because I kind of can't be bothered for another rebrand. It's a bit tiring, isn't it? having to do this all the time. You know, is anyone here actually excited about potentially seeing another, you know, it's taken three years to get to this point. But if with a new manager, you're gambling, unless it's like, unless they are someone that matches Warburton's style to a certain extent. I'm excited. <laughs> I genuinely am just because the club, there's a lot relying. There's a lot, um, on it because if they do someone who doesn't work 
they'll be under pressure. The club, the board, the people higher up, because so many people it will so it will be such a controversial sacking. So this next appointment will have to be well thought through. I mean, I don't know if they are capable of that, but there's a lot riding on it. So I am genuinely excited to see. It's got to be someone good, because if it's not, then they're in in danger. And if they are, then I don't know. But yeah, I'm excited. Let's see. It'll be fun. It's like a TV show. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I dug up uh, an article that Clive Whitton wrote last time that we had a um, managerial appointment needed when uh, McLaren was sacked. Um, there were six or seven names that were seriously in the mix that he picked out in particular that were that had good odds with the bookies. Okay, I'll just read them out. And, you know, I, I get the feeling that some of these names might pop up again. Tim Sherwood. Tim Sherwood at four to six. <laughs> Lee Bowyer, Gareth Ainsworth, Mark Warburton, who was fourth favourite for the job, Michael Appleton, Gary Rowett, and Kenny Jackett. Now, there's another paragraph further on, uh, and if I could just quote what Clive said. He said, as managers' stock rises and falls, and flavours of the month come and go, one thing remains the same. QPR are essentially in exactly the same position they've been in the last three times they've been looking for a manager. Bottom end of the championship, mid-table. Run of bad results, bit chaotic. That either tells you they're not very good at appointing managers or that the manager isn't the main problem here. We usually finish with a conclusion where I plump for one of the list, but it's a deeply uninspiring collection. You dream of us making that sort of left-field transformative appointment from abroad like Huddersfield, Norwich, and even Barnsley have been able to, but I can't see it. Can you? And it just, maybe just tweak it a little bit, sort of upper mid table now, but it does kind of feel the same, doesn't it? I don't, he, he mentions again in that piece that the pe- the ones that were sort of highly thought of last time you go for a managerial appointment, they're not really highly thought of anymore. That's kind of the case with, to a certain extent, Gary Rowett, Lee Bowyer. I mean, Bowyer's in a, I mean, Birmingham's an absolute disaster class of a club, but regardless, he looks like he's probably going to get sacked at some point. So, you know, do any of those names, Dan, do any of those names scream, apart from perhaps Mark Warburton, don't know who that is, does that, do any of those names there actually fill you with much excitement? Because I can't see, I don't know, we're not getting Bielsa, we're not going to, I don't think we're going to get Fark, and, and you know, sure, Dyche has just been managing in the Premier League for like the last six years and been in the Europa League, so why is he going to come to QPR? No, I don't get I don't get those names at all. Um, was there you said Michael, Michael Apton was named in the bookies, wasn't he? He was eight to one last yeah. time. Same odds as Warburton. That would probably be the one that I'd have looked at if if it wasn't Warburton. I mean, obviously this season he's struggling with Lincoln, but what he got them to the playoff final last year. Um, similar to Warburton, plays a progressive style, develops players. Um, that's kind of the the real type of manager we're after, aren't we? Something that can continue the model within the club. Um, Develop. There's not. I don't. For me, there's not a necessity to develop young players per se because Warburton's done it with generally general players anyway, rather than just youth. Like even this season. Um, but yeah, it's going to be someone of that mould, like Michael Appleton. Um, might not be him, but someone, someone of that ilk. Um, do we think Mark Warburton has 
broadly achieved his remit. So, you know, when uh, Steve McLaren came into the club, there was a clear emphasis. You've got Brightside Samuel, you've got Eze, you've got, to a certain extent, like Kakai, Lumley, all these players that potentially could have a future at the club. We want to build them up and sell them on. He didn't quite do that, did he? He kind of he bombed them out straight away on loan. He marginalised youth players. Um, Warburton comes in kind of with the same remit. We're lower end. We want you to build up players. We want you to play an, an attacking brand of football, perhaps. We want you to just sort of improve us over the next three years. This is an open question for any three of you. Has Warburton managed to achieve that? To an extent, I'd say, because um, let's not remember first season he 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 comes in hands hands tied behind his back without a budget. He gets thirteenth, spending the least amount of money of any side in the division. He literally spent fifty k on Liam Kelly, and that was it. Even Barnsley and Luton spent more than us that summer. And then and then he and then the next season he's he's given another year. Eze leaves for what what is our, what is the most we've ever received on a player. We received twenty million pounds for Eze. We start off the season towards towards the lower end of the table, and I vividly remember I got a message from Alex saying, um, "Oh, I'm doing a sacking special because Warburton's sacking is imminent." And then you you made it like an absolute fool. The fabled article that doesn't quite exist. It does, <laughs> but it doesn't. You should see some of the suggestions. Basically, oh god! The guy's not managing in the championship. Who everyone suggests. Oh, um, who did everyone suggest? Just remind me. Paul Cook. Oh, yeah, about that. Um, and then ten, ten days later, he he brings in Charlie Austin, the second coming of Jesus, and then we rise up the table um, at a rate faster than a Formula One car, and we we rise up the table, going from bottom three to knocking on the door of the playoffs this summer. He gets given one task by the fans: make the four loans permanent. He makes those. He makes said four loans permanent. Three of them were with. Three of them were done easily. Johansson, Fulham were a bit more difficult, but he still got it over the line. Appoints Johansson as club captain. I personally, I think that was a mistake. I think Charlie Austin should have been club captain, and I'll stand by that. Or Barbe or Wallace, for that matter. One of those three should have been captain. And we start the season on. We start the season off on fire. Scoring for fun with a solidified defence, and then it go, it goes to pot, and then we're, we're we're back in this position now where he's more or less going to go, um, barring a major miracle. He is we are we are going to be in that market again, and we will probably be writing one of those famed articles again in a week, won't we, Alex? Well, you say that he's achieved his remit, though. Um, he, he has achieved his remit by taking a side who was scrapping for relegation every year up towards the land of the playoffs. And now, yeah, he has achieved his remit by taking us further up the league than where, where we were when he came in. And now I think it's time for another manager with a bit more ex- experience at getting sides promoted to really push on, keep keep the core of the squad and go for it next season. Um. Go on, Sam. I just, want, I just wanted to say, so there's the argument going around, which is, which Luke has just brought up, which is the, uh, we've he's done, he's done the best that he can, but now we need someone who can finish the job and get us promoted. But 
none of those managers will come to us because Alex, you just said the managers like Sean Dyke, Daniel Falk, um, even Tony Mowbray, who everyone's talking about now. We are still a club who are the best, the favourites for the job. Gareth Ainsworth, if he's even in the running, it's a League One manager. Um, that whole list, which will probably be the same list, they're League One managers. That the argument that you know we now need someone who can finish the job is great, but it's wishful thinking because we are a bit we're in a state. What massive manager is going to want to take on a club where they can't be fully backed because they don't have the resources? If the argument is surely we need someone now who can get us promoted, yeah, but the person who get us promoted won't want us. So it's just a bit of a paradox. And I think Warburton is someone who is growing as a manager. It's not like he does one thing. He should grow and adapt, and he has. We're better this year than we were last year. We're better than we were the year before that. And so, I don't know. I just, I don't think we'll find anyone better. And, I mean, it's the thing that's going around constantly that you wouldn't want a man... You don't sack a manager who would be his own best replacement. And in that list of who should be the next manager, Alex, I would go for Mark Warburton, I think. Yeah. I mean, I kind of... It's bizarre, isn't it? We think that he's actually done his job properly. We think he's done his job quite well, actually. And yet that deserves him being sacked. Um, it's like It doesn't tally up for me. Uh, like I've seen a few people say on Twitter, other clubs will want him straight away. They'll look at what he's done on a shoestring budget and think, blimey, yeah, we'll take a punt on that. And, you know, it... It's one one season where we've been realistically challenging and we've fallen away at the end, partly due to the fact that our best player is injured. It's the same with, actually, Tony Mowbray, whose Blackburn side really struggled, funnily enough, without their like top goal scorer, Brereton Diaz, when he was injured. It's good. It would be the same with nearly anyone. You take Mitrovic out of Fulham and, of course, they struggled. You take Solanke out of Bournemouth, they struggle as well. You take work out of QPR, and we really struggle. So, you know, I don't... The in, injuries that have absolutely hampered our season, if we had Willock and we had Dieng and that side wasn't really touched, you know, even if, say, AFCON hadn't happened, chair stays and we don't have to tinker around with the side at all. Everything's just much more balanced. But that we have a bit more luck going our way, perhaps. And maybe that underperformance carries us into the playoffs. I don't think many of us actually thought we were going to get promoted. I think, Sam, you said a few weeks ago, we just well, I just wanted playoffs. Like You thought playoffs was the only realistic thing. And promotion, actual getting up to the next league, would have been nice, but it wouldn't have actually, you know, probably wouldn't have gone well eventually, would it? Um, so I just kind of, I can't quite wrap my head around why we are getting rid of someone that's actually done what he's meant to do and has had a really bad luck recently. Um, I don't know, like, I just feel really sad over the whole thing. And it's just like back to square one with QPR. Uh, Dan, you haven't really been saying much sitting there in the middle there quite quiet. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? on Warburton before um, we do have to move on because there was a game or something like that last weekend. I can't really remember what happened. But... Probably, probably the main last point for me would be I don't really understand how people can say he can't really take us much further. I mean, 
he got to the playoffs for Brentford, and I, uh, with that, without injuries like you said, Alex, a minute ago, if he'd have taken us to the playoffs and we didn't go up like uh, like he did with Brentford, I'm pretty sure everyone would have taken that. Um, so he's, he's shown he's capable of getting into the playoffs before, um, and I think injuries, like we've said before, is a big big factor into why we um, didn't quite make it there. So I don't quite see why people are saying that Wolverton can't get there, but the likes of Deitch, Farker and all that will, would automatically get there for us. Yep. Um, I don't really have much else to say on this. Is there anyone else that would like to offer up something before we move on? No. I'm kind of done talking about it. I spent like an hour writing that thread on Twitter today. <laughs> uh, we'll okay. see what happens. Okay, so let's quickly go on to the most uneventful game of the season. Uh, so, Stoke away, we lost 1-0. Team headlines, and as predicted by Dan, uh, Sanderson did start at right back. Uh, Barbe also came back into the side, stays as a back four, but apart from that, no other changes because, as mentioned already, we uh, you know, we, we have so many injuries, we have a thin squad, and there's no one else that can really realistically play. Um, but before we get right into it i would like to apologize for in the last pod i said a stat that related to the last time qpr lost to stoke up in stoke uh so i'm sorry that the team had no chance i cursed them obviously they were doomed before they even put their foot onto a blade of grass so sorry about that i'll take the blame for it uh don't sack mark warburton because of my stat uh dan please in 30 seconds just sum up what happened in this game um not much. We we were pretty pretty dire. Um, they scored from another set piece, um, which wasn't was, wasn't that shocking. Um, yeah, we just didn't look quite up to it the whole game, really. Yeah, um, I wasn't able to watch this luckily because I was at work. Uh, Micah, who was meant to join us this evening but can't, unfortunately, he decided he was going to watch Arrested Development instead of this, and by the sounds of it, it was a much better decision. So. Um, you know, the, their goal, I've had a look at it on the highlights. Another, did this crop up at all in your uh, article this morning, Dan? Yeah, it was the last corner. Um, bit of a weird one. I mean, everyone was quite bunched in the six-yard box. I think it was man-for-man, 3v3 runners. And then we were quite dominant um, in numbers zonally. And then Madger just drops off... Um, Dizel and McCallum uh, into the front post area, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a bit. Um, gets a flick on. Westwood saved uh, the shot, who um, was basically our only decent um, player on Saturday. And then they score off two two second balls. Yeah, so classic not being able to clear our lines, which was uh, quite disappointing. But, you know, that curse on the corners carries on. Um if you could, Dan, just while we're on the subject, just sort of say or sum up why you think we're conceding so many corner goals at this point in time. Um, well, pretty much all the goal. Well, basically all the goals, uh, the corner goals at least um, that I analysed. Basically, they all were scored from some form of front post uh, movement or whether they attacked the front post. I think it was. Um, or the likes of Forest, uh, Huddersfield, um, 
and Stoke to an extent were the ones where they they attack the front post with a with a run. Um, some of them are to do with the fact that we don't even have any um, our man for man against our runners, which is, in my opinion, quite suicidal. Um, and then some of them, like the Sheffield United and the Hull one, were where were through um, front post movement to create space. Like the Sheffield United one was a dummy from a uh, short short corner, and the uh, the Hull one, I think, one of their players made a front post run to create a separation. Um, and then obviously Hendrick loses the duel and uh, they score off a second second phase. Um, so it's mainly the, mainly the front post area that's the issue. Yeah. Uh, if you do want to read a bit more on Dan's thoughts on this, he has, as we've already mentioned a few times, got a Substack article up, which you can find on his Twitter, uh, which obviously the news this morning kind of glossed over a little bit. But it is at Dan Lambert underscore, as I understand, if you do want to read a bit more about that. Uh, as... Dan mentioned in his brief summary of the game, Lucas, Westwood was probably our only sort of shining light, whether that's something I can say. But he played well, as I understand. Is that correct? Um, from, from, what I've, from what I've been told and from the highlights I've seen, goes without saying. He looked, he, looked, he looked good on Saturday, commanded his area well and made some saves to keep the scoreline at 1-0. That's what I have to say about that matter. Um, Sam, the big question for you what you know looking at the stats we had 10 shots nothing on target why can't can we can you fix this problem for us tell us why we're not scoring any goals tell us why we're not creating anything substantial well I don't believe we're very good at football at the moment (laughs) and I think one of the main goals of football is uh, scoring goals and I don't think we have the ability um we do a We've, it's happened loads, and I guess I, I mean I have tons of criticism for Warburton's style. I do think, of course, I, I back him. I think he's the right man. I think he get better. But a recurring theme is without Willick or Chair doing their little shimmies outside the box, and then an overlap with Wallace or whoever's on the right. Um, we don't really create that many chances. We also don't shoot. The amount, I, I, I don't know if I'm just imagining it, but the only time we seem to shoot is when, we're, when we score, like when we're through, when it's like a, a cross or a tap-in or a header or something. We don't shoot, and I'm not saying we should shoot on sight. I just think that we just aren't very threatening. We, we're very, very careful. Like, again, let's compare us to one of the best teams in the world, Liverpool last night, right? They take risks they do those long balls into the box and they create chances out there and at pace I mean when we are in those positions chair will stop or Thomas will just run around and they'll just stop and wait for something clear to happen and I don't think you can do that the championship is one big mess and you have to embrace that and just sort of um, pile it in and put some sort of attacking threat. It's the, I do think it's probably the players as well. You can't rely on two players exclusively to make chances. Um, I think Johansson last year was making a lot more chances than he's doing now. Um, Amos has been scoring this end of the season, which is weird, but he's been great. But I don't think we have... I think Johansson not being on form is a big... Um, it's a big thing because you need lots of outlets, and you need and Dykes normally. 
I, I really like Dykes as a player, but he's just not doing anything. It's just sort of all fallen apart. I think we had a nice equilibrium, like a nice way that we were playing, and one too many parts of that system um, were injured, and I think we were over-reliant on one way of playing. But I don't think we have another way that we could play with the players we have when those good players are out. That might have been gibberish, but it sounded right in my head. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's something we can solve until everyone's back and we take a good look at ourselves in the mirror and see what we have done. I think with the... The, the interesting thing is, if Johansson, I think I've said it a few times throughout the season, his stats suggest that he's creating the exact same amount of uh, chances. He's perhaps got a few more, a few less assists, and he hasn't popped up with as many goals. But uh, obviously, you know, he's been in and out of the side with illness, um, injury, and you know, potentially at some points he's just been dropped due to public demand. But um, you know, yeah, he's perhaps not been creating the quality, let's say, but he's the he's certainly creating the same amount of exit of chances per game and we're maybe not putting them away the thing the thing the, the thing about shooting is really interesting because when we first saw glimpses of Ilias chair it was because he was scoring ridiculous like 30 yard screamers against um or for stevenage i think it was he scored from his own half once so like he could basically do what he wanted in league two and obviously it was like the wrong loan because it was just too easy for him and he just sort of like messed about for a bit and played the way that a really good five-a-side player plays um it was just a bit of a joke at the time but he hasn't done that since coming back and that's obviously part of the way we play and there is a i think uh a lack of urgency sometimes you know we we I'd rather like you Sam I'd rather have Warburton stay but I'm not saying he's absolutely flawless as a coach as a manager and this is obviously not a flawless team there is a certain amount of you have to take risks and you have to be um you have to create a bit of chaos at times you know we move the ball a little bit too slowly and in this game Stoke which was probably the most important game of the season uh up until the game that is going to come tomorrow evening Unfortunately, there's nothing riding on that game now. But at the time, Stoke was the most important game of the season because we win that and we're like three points or two points off the playoffs because all the results happened to go our way that day. Um, but there wasn't any urgency. That might be because of the quality of the player on the pitch. Could be that they're tired. I don't know. But there just doesn't seem throughout the season to have been that urgency and that sort of willingness to create a bit of chaos and just see what happens. You know, just really go at them. Like there need there needed to be a de- not a desire, but there needed to be a, a sort of acceptance that you just have to sort of tear it up a little bit. Yeah, maybe shoot on sight for a bit and just sort of try and create a little bit of worry in the opposition ranks. Because if you just keep on passing it, you're not, and it's very easy actually to set up against that. You put a few, you know, two banks of four in the, or five, a bank of five and a bank of four and then you have your big striker up top and with a bit of pace perhaps and then you just boot the ball away when you win it back off of us it's quite easy to set up against but you know um the strikers as well they kept like you said um you like dykes and i saw that someone i think i can't remember who it was but someone was saying after the game that the strikers this season have been poor uh dan you know the main thing I think about 
out Dykes and to a certain extent the other two. It's like when they don't feel like they're in the game, it's because they're perhaps not getting the service. Yeah, I think some of it some of it's that um obviously quality of chances or quantity of chances rather haven't quite been there in our um poor run of form. I think some of it, particularly with Dykes at the times, he's quite inconsistent for me with um winning winning aerial duels, um, which can be quite a big part of our game, particularly at the minute when you've got Thomas that you can use for pacing behind with flick-ons and stuff like that and just gaining general territory in our position's um, half. But yeah, you could you could say the service hasn't been there, but I think we need a lot of service for our strikers because we don't have the, the money to buy these clinical strikers like Mitrovic or Solanke at this level. They're going to be quite raw in, in certain aspects of the game. Yeah, uh, I don't really have anything else to say about Stoke. Um, Sam, did you watch the game? No, so Dan, you're um, the only. Oh wait, yeah, yeah. I, I, I did not watch. I did not. Watch I paid ten pound for the privilege. What a mug I am! So, was there anything else that stood out for you of note from this game? Uh, no. For me, yeah, yeah, there was. For me, for me, I didn't think the the four two three one worked at all. Um, I thought it was more of a structural issue. I mean. You have Sanderson and Amos on the right-hand side providing zero width. I mean, Amos, he has, he's been decent the last two, three games, but he's popped up in key moments rather than a consistent six, uh, seven, eight out of ten for me from that position. Um, yeah, we just looked we looked rather dull. I mean, and and what, what I found quite interesting was the fact that we didn't play three at the back. I think we could have played three at the back. Uh, we changed their second half and we looked quite better in terms of stretching them. But... Um, Done on the early yellow, early yellow card, and um, it was and Barbe up against Madger and Brown, who who quite quite quick players. It just looked a disaster at times on the break. Um, so I found the system a bit weird, but it's it's pretty much over now. The season, so it doesn't really matter too much. Yeah, um, the only other thing to mention from this game is the Samfield bingo results, which is something that Micah introduced last week. What minute is Samfield going to get a yellow card in? The answer this week, he didn't get a yellow card. Uh, oh. So that he was a surprise. Man of the match for that. Sorry? Oh. He deserves man of the match for that. Surely. You, you, in, in most weeks, you can put your mortgage on him getting the book in, but not on Saturday. Well, that was the point, I think, that Michael was trying to make. Uh, anyway, this is a little space just to do a little shameless plug. Uh, this past couple of weeks, because of the game that has been moved forward uh, tomorrow to, against Sheffield United. Me and Dan have been speaking to a range of QPR fans and Sheffield United fans about the experiences that they've had with fixture changes and the way that Sky have uh, got their fingers involved with our season, basically. Um, so uh, this kind of, we've put together a little article uh, where we've, like I said, spoken to Sheffield Wednesday United, Sheffield United fans and QPR fans about the fixture changes. Uh, we've spoken to Clive Whittenham and Dave Thomas for the QPR angle and spoke to Hal from Sheffield United Way podcast and the Travelling Blade as well. Uh, personally, surprisingly, I think it's a really good read and it's well worth five minutes of your time before when you're on the train on the way to the game tomorrow or when you're on the way back when you kind of want to forget about the football that you've just watched and reads about something else entirely depressing. So if you want to see, uh, read about how, you know, Sky Sports are ruining football, then yeah, that should be going up onto the R Generation site at uh, some point. 
on Friday. Uh, so keep an eye on that on my Twitter page and on the Argen account as well. Uh, so yeah, Sheffield United then. Since beating us, uh, they've been on a different run of form, drawing with Bournemouth and Bristol City, then beating Cardiff, and then a little 2-1 loss to Reading, stuck in the middle there as well. So, you know, we, we it's not that long ago that we had to preview a game against Sheffield United. It's come round again. Is everyone excited about seeing the Blades again? I won't be because I'm at work. Pretty good time to have a shift, I guess. Because I don't have to watch us lose, probably. Sam, you seem delighted at the prospects of playing Sheffield United again. I'm going. Um, I'm very excited. I go. I like the last game of the season because I like um, the little claps at the end where we reflect on another letdown of the year. Um, I'm very much expecting nothing, but um, it will be nice to say goodbye to what has been a, a good team at times this year. Uh, Dan, are you able to make it to the game tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. Um, don't sound too excited. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to think about. I, I mean, I don't. Really, <laughs> I like going obviously to watch us, but like it's just. Well, Warburton said they're going to give it their all and stuff like that, but it's just I just kind of want the season over and done with, and all these uncertainty uncertainties out of the way, really. Yeah. Um, so just remind us uh, what can we expect from Sheffield United then, Dan? Um. Well, they're a good side, uh, obviously, because they're in the top six. Um, I don't think they were, last three games they haven't been playing with McBurney, which is quite um, interesting uh, in terms of how they're going to play. I think they played with um, Gibbs White and um, NDI up top, um, so that could alter the way they play slightly. Because in the reverse fixture a few weeks ago, I thought McBurney played quite well. Really, um, he was kind of the focal point. Kind of link link the play well for them. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Ollie Norwood um, in midfield. I thought he he dictated the the, the reverse fixture quite well. Um, and that's another thing I thought thought on against Stoke. Just going back to that briefly, I thought we let Joe Allen and um, Sawyer's just dictate the play work far too easy. We didn't have the same pressing intensity as um, we did at home uh, against Derby. So I think that's something we need to improve on in terms of tomorrow night because. If you give Norwood Fleck and like Gibbs White the the time and space on the ball, they can they can break you apart with a single single ball. Really, um, they're going to be well up for this because they need to. It's in their hands really for playoffs. So yeah, that means they, they've got a chance to secure one of the two playoff spaces that apparently no one wants. Really, no one wants to get promoted from the Championship. Fulham don't want to win the league. Bournemouth don't really want to win the league. QPR don't want playoffs. Subscribes. Sorry. Is there two? I thought it was... Well, there's oh, no, kind no. of Luton, two. Luton mathematically, yeah, yeah. Got oh, it. well, to be honest, you won't say that Luton are going to pause it up because you're uh, well, Nathan no, they've Jones got, they've got boy, Fulham. They've got Fulham, but um, they play Reading last day of the season, so that's kind of... That, I mean, that's for three points. Oh, no, Reading beat Sheffield United. Oh. I have a question. Yes, go, go on, Sam. Um, does Luke Freeman still play for Sheffield United? Quite no, I think he went on loan to Millwall. Millwall. What?! Did he actually? Yeah. yeah. He plays for Stone Island Football Club. Stone Island Football Club. I don't believe it. Oh, no. Because I was going to say, 
I love Luke Freeman. We should get him back. Were you considering like running down, like kidnapping him after the game and just keeping him at the Kind Prince <laughs> Foundation Stadium until next season? And then, yeah, like... I was just gonna slip in, you know, to the. I mean, go to go to the reception afterwards, just hang around. They're like, Luke, I've got an offer for you. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I need to resume intelligent conversation. Now. That sounds that sounds way more dodgy than it was supposed to be. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously he was suggesting dodgy things, but uh, Sheffield United's injuries problems got slightly better, uh, as Dan's already mentioned. Ollie McBurney isn't going to be playing. Um, I think my thoughts on McBurney are perfectly clear at this point. I think he's an awful footballer, um, a real assault on the eyes when he's playing football. Jesus. Uh, but Billy Sharp and Chris Chris Basham are back. Obviously, Billy Sharp being the one that is uh, going to be quite important, scores plenty of goals for them. But George Bulldog and John Fleck are both managing issues. So, you know, could potentially be without them. But as Dan mentioned, they've got plenty of options in the midfield. Um, apparently, Sheffield United have launched an investigation into why they've been so badly affected by injuries this season. So the people that are doing that investigation, if they fancy it, they could come down to QPR and try and figure out the same reason. Uh, what are they investigating? Sorry? What are they investigating? Why they've been so badly affected by injuries. Why their players are all injured. Is that... Yeah. It does seem a bit weird, doesn't it? Seems like maybe they were just unlucky. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm sure they'll find something really meaningful, and it won't just be a waste of everyone's time. <laughs> um, so, from our point of view, two games have to play. There's nothing on the line here. Um, anything? Any any suggestions for someone else that might want to play, perhaps? Sinclair Armstrong. Unknown at all the shots. Don't tempt him. Recall him, play him, and only him. Um, No one else. I I would just be tempted (laughs) just to. uh, I I know it's his book release week, but, you know, just chuck Don Ball in. See if he really would have saved our season, you know? Yeah. Or even better, just play a team of Sean Derry's. I don't know. He's a bit old now. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just give other players a go that haven't. I'd like to see Don Ball play. Give him like um, fifty minutes or something. Just like run about and be Don Ball. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe I don't know Kakai at right back rather than Sanderson. He is actually. Well, it's going right to be back. it's going to be a back four anyway, I reckon, because um, Barbe's got a late fitness test. Yeah. So it'll probably be Dunn and Sanderson at centre back and uh, Kakai at right back probably. And Senny Diang's not fit. Either so it's going to be Westwood in goal again. Um, so yeah, I guess that's it really. There's nothing else to say on the matter. Uh, final thing Samfield Bingo Round Two. Uh, I've got your names all written down here. So, Sam, can you tell me the minute that Samfield is going to get his yellow card this week? It's going to be 16 minutes. It's 16. going to be an early one. Oh, 16. 16. 16 minutes. It will be a reckless tackle. Uh, it will be nowhere near. It won't be like in a place near that's like a threat. It'll be somewhere in our own half. Um, and he'll go in with a bit of a stud, high foot, and, you know, be a bit mouthy. Get a yellow. 16 minutes. Uh, Dan. 
don't know. There's part of me that thinks he might get sent off. Oh. Oh. I don't know. It's just the type of game. It's like nothing. It means nothing, basically. Well, you can um, still give me the. Um, just give. Uh, you can still do the sixty. The first minute. The uh, first yellow card. All right, thirty-seven. 37th minute. Nice and precise there from Dan Lucas. What minute are you going for? 84th. 84th, right at the end of the game. That's, the, that's the second yellow right there. Second yellow. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm feeling like a 47. Nice bit. We're 1-0 one, one down at half-time. Come back out and you think, just start positively. And he swiped someone out right on. And you think, you know what? That's us done. Um, but yeah, that's Samfield bingo. So we'll come back to that next week. Uh Last thing to say, uh, we did mention that Sam had a uh, a little a nice little date with Dumble. You wanted to tell your story. Yeah, I just wanted to. It's a bit of a flex. Um, I've now run into Dumble uh, out in the in the wider world twice now. Um, the first time was in a, a club. We were dancing together to summer summer loving. You know. Um, summer nights, whatever it's called, from Greece. Um, we boogied together. I showed him my lock screen, which was a picture of Ilias chair, and he goes, "Ah, oh, Ilias!" And that was my night with him. And then he sounds Lock, disappointed that it wasn't him. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't want to say that I was a QPR fan because I didn't want him to think I was just like a fan. And I want, and I wanted to boogie with Don Ball in a club. So, can it, can this can this video be posted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. This is getting clipped up. Forget all the analysis and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we were in a club. Uh, Greece came on. We were in the cheesy room because I hate all the like drum and bass club music. Well, the, so I was cheese in the room. The only way to go. Right? Exactly. So I was in the room. They were playing like Coldplay and Take That and stuff. Then Sam and Lovin came on, and I saw this man, this very tall man, and I was like, "Oh, I know you. That's Dominic Ball." Bear in mind, this was <laughs> this was. Um, I'd seen us win a couple of days before, so it was like really funny. Um, and so I didn't say I knew who he was. I just started. I was just like, oh, my God, I'm a Dumble. At the end of the night, I was like, oh, look, it's Ilias' chair on my lock screen. And he was like, yeah, Ilias. And then we left it there. Little did I know that uh, a couple months later, I would bump into him again. So, you know, in restaurants, how they have tables of two, like they'll have the big tables, but the tables of two, they're all very, very close to each other because they're very small, so it's just yes. a big table. So I was there for my friend's birthday. It was a rather nice restaurant. Uh, my friend was on the couch. I was on the chair. And then in on the couch opposite me, literally next to my friend, like their arms were touching, was Dominic Ball and his lovely fiancée. And I couldn't concentrate for an hour and a half because I was just trying to listen to what Dominic Ball was ordering for dinner. Um and if you must know, it was barbecue chicken wings and a steak. I think he had a steak. He also ordered a bowl of mushrooms, which is a good, healthy choice. Um, but yeah, that was a very nice evening. Um, and it was the second time I bumped into him. And I'm sure it won't be the last. <laughs> so who knows where I will bump into Dominic Ball next. Um, Fantastic stuff. Uh, <clears throat> Sam's been holding on to that for quite a while so yeah I wanted to share it with the world it's really funny <laughs> uh, so yeah with that the many adventures of Don Ball we're going to end this podcast um, final home game of this season tomorrow I really hope that if the news is true as we all think it is 
as Warburton has been saying, I hope he gets a good send off tomorrow. And you know, it's kind of like a free free hit tomorrow. There's nothing riding on it. So you know, go along after work, get pissed, just try and you know watch hopefully some good football, and we'll beat Sheffield United. And it will be really annoying because we'll go, oh, if only we did that like three games ago, or if only we played like that against Peterborough. And it'd be really annoying. But at the end of the game, you would have enjoyed what you've watched, hopefully, and you're going to give, you know. Hopefully we'll give Warburton a proper good send-off if it is good to, going to be his last home game in charge. And, you know, there might be a few players moving on. The Sam's best friend, Don Ball, perhaps as well. You know, maybe Ozzy Kakai. These are players that perhaps don't have the greatest quality but have certainly tried their best and given their all for QPR, which, you know, 10 years ago when we've got the likes of Bessingua and whatever, or not, maybe not 10 years ago, but you know what I mean when those players were here, when the Christopher Sambas were mincing about on our pitch, sort of pretending to play football, everyone was saying, we just want someone who cares. So we've got those players now and, you know, just show them a little bit of love tomorrow because they've tried, bless them. Um, so can with we, that... Sorry, last, last thing, can we all bring a loaf of water and bread to uh, to remember him? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, uh, wait. Who, who, who here's going Swansea? Why not? I mean... None of us are going Swansea. No, I've decided that I've got. I am. I'm going. I'm. I'm. I'm going Swansea, and I'm bringing a loaf of Warburton's breath breakfast. Okay. Good. Fantastic. Good you, um. So yeah, that is everything. Bring a loaf of Warburton bread along tomorrow. Uh. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, come on, you us.